This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What is up, everybody? Welcome back once again. The Golden Edge Podcast, letting you know everything that is going on in the world of the Vegas Golden Knights with the people that cover it for the Las Vegas Review Journal here in Vegas. Ben Goats, Adam Hill. I mean, I've reversed us. You're Ben Goats. I pointed at you. People can't see you, though. So I, I appreciated say, it, though. That I appreciate been. it. It was a strong point. Very good uh, physical gestures. That is Ben. I'm Adam. Uh, we are out there. Uh, covering the Golden Knights every day, along with Dave Shane and the whole crew of people here at the RJ. So uh, let's jump right into it. There is a big story going on. We thought it's rookie camp. They'll go into training camp, maybe re-sign Shea Theodore. That might be the big thing. But no, major trade news breaks just after the rookie game the other night. It was pretty stunning and a, a pretty big deal for the Vegas Golden Knights. Yeah, crazy timing. So they got uh, forward Max Pacioretty from the Montreal Canadiens. Patches. Patches, yes. Ben. Everybody calls him Patches. I am I'm not doing it, but I'm just letting the people know. Like, this is about introducing who the new player is to all the people. Of course, of course. And every like literally everyone calls him Patches. I refuse to. In fact, I asked about getting, you know, uh getting time with him. When are we gonna talk to him? And they're like, Oh, Patches? I'm like, I'm not calling him that. It started already. Yes. <laughs> yes. So Pacioretty is a he's a three time All Star, so obviously he's a very good player. Uh, he's going to slide, I think, right onto that second line with Alex Tuck and newcomer Paul Statsny, who they got in free agency. Uh, he had played an entire career with the Montreal Canadiens, as I said, three time All Star, sixty point seasons, four of the last five years. So a very productive player. He was their captain. Now he's coming here. He won't be the captain, but I think he's going to make a big impact, Adam. Yeah, he's a guy who's you know he met, you mentioned he's a longtime captain for the Canadiens, so he's a leader. Uh, won't slot in as the captain, but you know he's a guy who has you know has experience, has good experience. Obviously, things not going well with the Canadians right now, but he's been a part of good teams. He's been a very successful part uh, of that franchise. And a guy you mentioned, you know the points he's put up, you know all these sixty point seasons, but it's really the goals. Uh, he is a goal scorer. He knows how to get the puck in the net. Something that's very important. And 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 I think the the biggest thing that you look at of what the Golden Knights are doing, they are solidifying that second line. Now, we've talked about this before on the show. People are very upset and, you know, sad that guys like James Neal, David Perron, who they got to know, are gone. But if you look back on that second line last year, even though they were productive, they had a lot of deficiencies, mostly getting back defensively. One of the worst lines in the entire sport of hockey, defensively. And so they are really, you know, rebuilding that with guys that are not only productive, but have been around, are experienced, and can play both ways. And that's one of the things that George McPhee talked about with acquiring Pacioretty. We, we, you know, he's a guy who plays both ways. He'll get back on defense. He'll help out in that regard. He's a big, strong guy, a fast skater. He can help on both ends of the ice. And that's 
I think a big part of why they were so aggressive in going to get him. Yeah, and they mentioned that and Paul Statsney is a reason why they got both those guys and why they paired them together. And I think it's going to be a really intriguing combination. So you mentioned Pacioretty's a goal scorer. I mean, he has one of, I think, the best shots in the league. It is a cannon, and I think it's going to be fun for people to watch. And he also hasn't played with a guy like Paul Statsney before. Um, he's taken a lot of heat, I think, in criticism in Montreal for kind of, you know, some up-and-down production. But he has not played with a center that can get him the puck in good spots like a Paul Statsny before. So I'm kind of intrigued to see what he plays like now that he kind of has a table setter next to him who can maybe give him the puck in better positions so he can make some more plays. Yeah, so I think what what it does right now is solidifies, you know, the first line is the back. Everyone from that line was so productive, so impressive last year. They're back, and now second line completely rebuilt with Stastny as a sit in the middle, Pacioretty, and then we don't know who play with them. I would think Alex Tuck is a, a huge candidate to do that, to jump up and, and kind of even, uh, you know, almost be mentored by those guys and, and continue his progress there and be a big part of that second line. So all of a sudden you've got a, you know, that really impressive top six again, rebuilt, looks different uh, on the second line, but, you know, I, I think more built to – have success on both sides of the ice and to, you know, really cut down on the defensive woes and still be productive. So I, I think mission accomplished as far as rebuilding that second line for Vegas. Yeah, and not just for this year, but for the long term too. Because yeah. when the deal happened originally, Pacioretty was a free agent after this upcoming season. So we all wondered and speculated, okay, does this mean they're going to try to sign him long term because they gave up a lot to get him? Well, the next day, right before George McPhee adjusted the trade, the press release hits our emails that, yes, they have signed him to a four-year, $28 million extension. It's going to take him through the 2022-2023 season. Uh, he has a limited no trade within that that kicks in next season involving 10 teams. But they weren't just committed to bring him in for this year and go all in. He is now going to be a part of this team moving forward. And they have, as you said, that top six, if they sign William Carlson to a long-term deal either this year or in the offseason, that's going to stay together for a while here. Yeah, and I think, you know, we'll, we'll get into now what they gave up and, um, you know, mortgaging a little bit of the future. I don't think uh, a dramatic amount, but, um, yeah, you're, you know, you have these guys locked in. Pacioretty signs now till he's, you know, 33, 34, right in that range. So, you know, really through the end of his prime, I guess you could say, uh, would be where he's going. And so that's, you know, that that's a guy that's locked up. Carlson's still young. We'll see after the season if they do the long-term deal with him. But, you know, those guys are, for the most part, locked in, and that will be your, you know, your productive forwards for, you know, for the next few years with the Golden Knights. And um, I think they're happy with that group. They're happy uh, with the contract situations of those guys. It's, you know, it, it, it seemed to me like George McPhee was very satisfied with how they've addressed those those top six players on the forward side yeah and he mentioned uh in his press conference addressing the move that this wasn't going to be a short-term fix that they would not have made this trade for Pacioretty if there wasn't going to be an extension attached to it so part of the negotiations that he uh discussed with us is that Montreal gave them a couple hour window to negotiate with Pacioretty's agent they came to an agreement on basically the basics of what the extension would look like and then they obviously got it done the next day um, so the, But this has been in the works for a while. McPhee said they started talking to Montreal about Pacioretty a couple days after the draft. So this yeah. has been in the works for months. And then the three, four days before the deal actually happened, they really kind of picked up. And then, of course, they got it done Sunday night. And they told uh, prospect Nick Suzuki, who was here for the rookie camp, as he was coming off the ice from a rookie camp yeah. game, 
So it was crazy timing there, and I'd actually talked to Suzuki that morning <laughs> for a story that will now live in infamy on our website uh, where I talked about all the versatility he's going to bring to the Golden Knights. And, you know, 12 hours later, uh, he is traded after uh, being sad about how Saquon Barkley was doing on his fantasy team. Oh, was he, was he mentioning that? Oh, yeah, I brought it up. You know, okay. it was a casual conversation. I thought it was weird just two people talking the, the morning of a rookie camp game. No pressure there. And, uh, that's, that's great. Uh, the, you know, interesting part about, you know, him being part of the rookie game, he's out there. We had just talked the night before uh, with Rocky Thompson, who's coaching the rookie team, who is the coach of the, uh, the Wolves, the Chicago Wolves in AHL, the affiliate of the Golden Knights. And he said they wanted – to play Suzuki on the wing. We're going to play him on the wing. He's going to His be His off-wing, wing, to be clear, because he was right. playing left wing, and they wanted to move him to the right wing. Right. He, they played him in the off-wing the first night. They were going to move him over to a stronger side uh, where he'd be preferred, but they were going to keep him at wing instead of moving him to center, even though he might be a more natural center for them. They have a lot of guys that are playing out of position, but uh, they were definitely going to keep him on the wing, not play him at center. And then Sunday night, they play him at center. And so I, like my natural thought, and I think a lot of people thought the same way, was – well, after you hear about the trade, Montreal must have wanted to see him at center. Now, the Golden Knights denied that, but it, it's the only thing that makes sense to me that it was, we're about to make this deal. Let's see him play center. We're, we've got our scouts there. We'll check him out and see and make sure he's, uh, you know, he's what we want to see. They've, they've seen him plenty, but I, I have to think that was part of the whole, the whole process. It doesn't make any, it doesn't make sense any other way. It I'm just sure. Doesn't. Though, I mean, I could also see maybe they just got together in the morning and figured, hey, why don't we try him at center since he is one of our top prospects. I don't read the a trade ton of had to be it. close enough at that I'm point. Sure, in the it morning. was. And and also, uh, just a side note of that's that's really, you know, just taking you inside, you know, what's going on. So most people, I think, that are fans of the Golden Knights, especially live in Vegas, have been over to the practice facility, and there's the restaurant upstairs, McKinsey River Pizza, where, um, you know, you can kind of hang out, watch watch what's going on on the ice. Uh, we were up there, maybe what first period, second period, and George McPhee just kind of walked in casually, sat down. Just chilling, talking to people, hanging out, and uh, turns out that was right when he was in the final processes of you know crossing the t's and dotting the i's of making that big trade. D- sure, certainly didn't have a tell. He had a good <laughs> poker face. That I nothing was it. going on. Yeah, yeah. To be clear on how uh, Nick Suzuki is, so there's questions about him remaining at center. So maybe that's why they want an extra look at him. He's sure. a little bit undersized. I think he's like five eleven. He was the Golden Knights' thirteenth overall pick in the 2017 draft. He was part of a trio first rounders they had. So he's one of their top prospects. A very good forward. He can score. I think very very well. The question is just in the NHL: Is he going to do that at wing or at center? Clearly Montreal. I think if they're making this move and giving up a significant guy for him, thinks he's going to stick at center. Yeah. As I mentioned before, they haven't had a good center to get Pacioretty the puck, so maybe, ironically, they think they've acquired that center yeah. by shipping him out. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Suzuki was, you know, I think a significant part of the Golden Knights' future at one point, and now they thought that they were going to get better today by trading him. McPhee mentioned Suzuki was a year or two away. They think they can contend for the Stanley Cup right now, yeah. so you make the move to get Pacioretty. And I think that that's the, the key thing here is it's saying – their plan all along is, was to build for down the road, for the future. They stockpiled draft picks. They stockpiled cap space. They stockpiled everything for the future. And then they were way better than they thought. They were way better than they expected to be. So now you look at it and say, okay, we can win right now. So, yeah, we have all these guys for the future, but we've got guys that can win right now. And, and I know that there's people, and I've, I've heard from them, that are upset that they gave up so much in this trade. You know, as you mentioned, Tatar, who they – Give up a first, second, and a third for last year. Suzuki, first-round pick, and then also a second-round pick. Um, 
you know, for the for next year. So people are like, that's a lot to give up. But if you look at it, they have so many prospects. They have so many young players. They have so many players coming in future draft picks. Like there is only so much room on a roster. And we were just talking about, you know, those top six are going to be locked in if they get Carlson to a long-term deal. You've got those guys signed. There's not a whole lot of room over the next two, three, four years for those prospects to really, you know, make any uh, any headway. I mean, they you can get them on the roster here and there and get them some time, but you know, you've got this top six on your roster squared away. There's only so much room for some of these prospects. So if you can acquire a guy that you believe is an elite goal scorer, a guy that you believe uh, is a a key piece for you to make uh, that next jump into uh, winning a Stanley Cup, then you have to go do that. I don't think I don't think the price is too much for that. I yeah, I think the counterpoint would only be if you include how much you gave up to get Tatar. Right. Because that's part of the disappointing thing is at last trade deadline, they get uh, Tomas Tatar from the Detroit Red Wings for a first, a second, and a third round pick. He only has six points in 20 games with the Golden Knights. We thought maybe they were going to slide him in as a needle replacement, but obviously I think they upgraded that spot by trading him for Pacioretty. Yeah. But that's obviously a very disappointing tender tenure for a guy you gave up three draft picks for in Tatar to then ship him out uh, for a, you know – a good guy in Pacioretty, but if you include what they gave up, you gave up one of your top prospects who was a first-round pick, another first-round pick to get Tatar, two second-round picks, and a third-round pick if you include the total draft compensation they gave up to get Tatar and Pacioretty. So that's a lot. But It's I, a lot, but it, in McPhee's answer yesterday, and of course he's just trying to sell um, he's just trying to sell the trade and try to sell uh, that it went okay, was basically, listen, that was the market for Tatar. We thought he was a guy that could help us you know, make a run in the playoffs. And he did. He scored as much as he was criticized for lack of production. He had a couple of big moments in the playoffs for them that were very important. So, you know, you got a guy that helped you. That was the market for him at that time. That's what they had to give up to get him. They thought he was a guy that was going to help them. And so they don't look at that. They don't consider that. Well, you have to. You should. I mean, it is part of it. And you understand why McPhee is saying that because he doesn't want, you know, he doesn't want it, the trade to be looked at as, you know, two firsts, two seconds, and third. But in the end, it is. And so it is a lot. It's it's a lot to give up. But right now, if you're looking at it, if you do throw out that they made that trade last year, you don't want to not you know not make this trade because you're like, well, we can make this trade, but we gave up so much for Tatar that now it looks you know looks like we're giving up a lot. I think you just have to look at where your team is presently constructed and just say it's Tatar. You're making a big improvement, uh, you know, Tatar to Pacioretty, and you're giving up you know a prospect and a pick to do that. Okay, I, I think in those terms, the trade is okay. Certainly bigger picture, it, it, it changes the perspective and the cost. But, you know, I, I think when you look at it in that term, like you already had Tatar, you can't go back and remake that trade. So that's what you have right now. So, you know, that's the deal you're making. It's not, you know, you're not giving up the first, second, and third anymore. That's already gone. So, and they still do have a ton of draft picks too. So yes, it's, it's not like, it's not like, well, they, they mortgage their entire future. They're not going to have any draft picks for the next five years. They're, they have plenty of picks. Mm-hmm. And, as we said, a lot of young players that are going to be with the team for a long time. So I think you know turning some of those assets into guys that can help you right now is not necessarily a bad thing. Especially when your uh, window is wide open right now. But that does bring me to the next question I have is they still do have a lot of assets, but do you think they have enough assets to make the other rumored trade we've been talking about all offseason? Do they have enough to still make an Eric Carlson trade in your mind? They have enough. It's do they want to do it's do you have the appetite as an organization to give up that much of what you believe is your core in the future 
to you know to to win right now as we said i mean they've shown that they're willing to do it by making this trade do you make a second trade that's that's like this I mean, my my thought would be yes you do if you're going if you're willing to give up assets to make a run right now keep doing it get another guy that's going to help you win right now get perhaps you know one of the top 5 defensemen in the league maybe even better than that yeah and a guy that really fits your style too in carlson so i th- i think for those reasons i would do it and you know the rumored trade that the trades that have been out there um, if you say, you know, Theodore, Glass, and a pick, that is a ton. That is a ton to give up. But, you know, do you want to go all in? Like, that—that that is in its Vegas, so I guess it's the right theme. Do you go all in to try to win right now? Um, if you did that, you still have, you know, you still have a lot of assets, but you are depleting what you have quite a bit. Uh, you still have, you know, really good prospects, especially defensemen, um, like Brandstrom and like Haig and you know you've got really good guys but you would have given up two of the forwards that you have you know totally invested in for, for your future you'd give those guys up and move on and try to get you know guys that'll help you win right now I say yes uh, I don't know if the team and the franchise have the appetite to do that right now but I guess we'll find out and you know I still believe that that the Shea Theodore you know the the fact that he hasn't signed yet I think that it somehow is related to what is going on and potentially getting Carlson. I just think maybe they're looking at it and saying, we'll let them re-sign him. We'll let them decide on the deal if, if he's part of this trade. I've, I've thought that for a while. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't, you know, I don't know that and I, I don't know what their thinking is. We'll see. But I, I, they'd still have the assets. I would still do it. But I don't know that the team has the, has the appetite to do that right now. I would be... If you have to include glass, I would really hesitate with that because I think, at least right now, and a lot of the prospects that they've taken in this most recent draft are college guys, so you haven't seen them play professional hockey yet. But I think Suzuki and Glass were two guys where you could say those are potential top six guys. I don't know if they have another real lock-solid top six guy in this system, so I'd be very hesitant to part with glass unless I thought I was getting a really good player back, which obviously I think Eric Carlson is. But, man, that would make me hesitate, especially if you have to give another good young asset in Shea Theodore to do it. But when you have a chance to win the Stanley Cup, you have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. Nobody nobody is higher on Shea Theodore than I am. I, I think his future is incredibly bright. I, you know, as far as a defenseman who can, who can come up and get involved on the offensive end and make really skilled plays, plus his vision is very, very good as far as turn, getting the puck, getting it up ice. Uh, starting transitions. I, I think Shea Theodore does a lot of really good things. He's had some defensive lapses, and I know that's his main job. Uh, but, you know, I, I think those things you learn, uh, I love his potential. But at the same time, you know, Carlson is a guy who right now, right now is at the level that you hope Shea Theodore gets to. And and that's something you look at. I'm I'm usually all about the future. And I will, if you're not going to win, I'm all about, you know, give up everything for for prospects and draft picks and and build that way. But if you have a chance to win, you have to go for it. And it, you know, it seems like this is you know over these next three years, they they have to win. The they, the window is there. The the players are there. The assets are there. The cap space is there. They have a chance to do it. You have to go and try to do it. I would understand if they did it. If that's the deal, Glass, Theodore, and a couple picks. But I would maybe not sleep well that night if I was George McPhee. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a tough, it's a tough deal to make, especially as we said after you make this trade. So this trade is made. So now you're going to give up some more future assets to get another great player. 
it's a tough call, but I mean, that's why you get, that's why you get paid the big bucks to be a general manager to make those decisions. And uh, we'll find out what he does going forward. I know right now there's still a lot of focus on getting the Shea Theodore deal done uh, in the next couple of days. So we can be in training camp, but uh, that could drag out. And, and, you know, just to go back to that one, he will resign. Like I, I keep, he's not signed. He's not signed. Like these things happen. I know that, you know, it's, it's still a learning process for a lot of fans of, you know, what exactly going is going on and, you know, why why is James Neal gone? Well, you know, it's it's a business and sometimes you make those decisions. With Shea Theodore, people are like, Why isn't he signed? Well, there's there's several uh restricted free agents around the league that ha- don't have arbitration rights that have not signed yet. And, you know, that these are just things that happen. He'll get signed. He really doesn't have that many options unless he wants to go play somewhere else. Uh he will resign. So don't worry about that. It's gonna be fine. Yeah, McPhee actually spoke about it this week. He said he hopes to have a deal done soon, even at the presser to announce the Pacioretty trade he mentioned yeah we're still working on that it is hard because yeah he does not have arbitration rights so there's no one kind of forcing them to meet in the right. middle at all right where arbitration a judge is basically waiting and a judge will decide what the player gets paid if the two the team and the player can't agree on a number here there's no judge that's going to basically have Theodore's back if they can't come to an agreement he basically has to take what the Knights are offering he doesn't have a lot of leverage yeah. to force them to yeah. increase their offer uh, that's kind of why it's been pushing so long too, because there's no, the, he believes he should get a long-term deal. He wants a long-term deal. And the Knights are like, yeah, maybe, but there's no reason for us to do that. You have no options. So sign what we want you to sign or nothing. You got nothing. Exactly. And that was also an interesting McPhee presser. Cause he also talked about the Nate suspension, 20 yeah. games for performance enhancing substances. He basically started off by saying, I can't really talk about the suspension then talked about the suspension yeah. a lot, including what you know was probably the most interesting point of the presser where he said the substance that Schmidt took or that he tested positive for did not come from us, came from outside the organization. We are confident in what we give our players. This was something outside of us. Well, the thing I, the thing I took from it the most from that press conference uh, was a different quote that he had, which uh, basically was, it tells you all you need to know that we went to bat for Nate and we defended him and we went to the process with him. And McPhee said, I even testified for him. You don't do that for every player is right. basically what he said. So it's that not only do they like Nate Schmidt and they totally believe him, uh, but they trust that this testing, you know, whatever the testing procedure was or whatever the substance was, was not intentional because they would not have, you know, gone to bat for him in that way and gone over the top to, try to defend him if they didn't believe him. I think in a lot of cases you'll see the team just kind of throw their hands up and say, hey, this is between you and the league, and we have nothing. there's nothing we can do. In this case, they certainly believed him. So um, whatever the – you know, there's theories out there. Um, whatever the, you know, real truth is, we don't – we won't really know until we see what the test was, what he tested positive for, when the test happened. Like those things would tell us a lot, but the, the, the process is so closed that you really just – you don't know. So I think if you if you are, you know, somebody who's looking for a reason to defend Nate Schmidt, there's plenty out there. Like, there's plenty because it's all coming from his side. But you also have to take into consideration all we've really heard is their side, is Nate Schmidt's side, the team side, McPhee's side. That's all you've really heard. The other side doesn't talk. And keep in mind, it did go to an arbitrator, and the arbitrator did rule against them. So it's not, it's not a – absolutely innocent there's no question that he's innocent it's obvious that he's innocent the arbitrator wouldn't have ruled against him in that case so we we don't really know 
all the details. It could very well be, you know, a, a totally, totally, you know, it could be, I'm trying to be careful of not throwing out exact uh, scenarios because there, you know, there's theories out there that are just crazy, but it could be as simple as, you know, he took a, a vitamin and it was produced in the same place that some prohibited, you know, uh, substances and they're just on the same conveyor belt. I've heard those cases all the time where they're absolutely true. That happens. It could be, you know, we've heard in other sports with the, um, the Canelo defense of tainted meat, which a lot of people are skeptical of. A lot of people believe it could be that simple, but we just don't know enough facts. So we're still in that holding pattern of we've heard the golden Knights side. We've heard Nate side. It's pretty easy to believe it, but we just don't know. Well, as you know, Adam, as McPhee told us, we could go down to our local health food store and get something tainted. Which I, I was, and I, was I, at, I was at a, a a smoothie place yesterday, and I was worried. McPhee and I shop at different smoothie places. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, you never know if whatever they're scooping in. You know, if you add the supplements, you never know what's in there. You could maybe you should go get tested. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I'll get suspended from this podcast for twenty games. <laughs> We're not going to do that to you. We don't. We won't. We do. We never. Uh, we would allow you to take whatever you want to take from a. From your local smoothie store, as George McPhee said, that you could still test positive for. Just issue a nice statement of support for me. We have Ben Goats back through this process. We no, have no, outstanding moral character. I would say, I don't know I don't know what he's doing. He could be doing anything. I only see him a couple hours a day. The rest of the time, who knows what he's shooting up. I don't know. It's crazy. Fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, as we mentioned, this is all this crazy news happening in the uh, backdrop of r- rookie camp. We are actually recording this uh, Tuesday, September 11th. Uh, it's going to wrap up today. Do you have any overall thoughts or impressions on what we've seen from these guys? I mean, I, I do. Uh, I think, you know, it's obvious uh, Cody Glass's talent and size. Like, his size, I think, is the, is the most stunning thing to me. He's not the biggest guy, but he's a big dude. Like, I didn't – I wasn't so sure until I saw him up close on the ice of just how big his presence kind of is out there. Uh, and, and that's been impressive. And, you know, I think Gage Quinney, local kid – who's been really scrappy in front of the net, scored in each of the first two games. Uh, it's been impressive. He's a little older, 23, uh, but he's a guy who, you know, has experience, has been around. Uh, I don't know what his ceiling is. I think he's a guy who, you know, can fill in for you here and there, uh, you know, jump on the roster and and uh, just be an effective player because he know, he just knows how to play the game so well and um, just has a nose for the puck around the net, which is good. But my far and away biggest takeaway has been Bradstrom has been really good as a defender, but Nick Haig has just blown me away as far as what he's done out there. His, he is, uh, he might be seven feet tall. I don't know. He's yeah. Giant. Speaking of size, he is the guy he's that giant. I was most, cause I'm, you know, people can't see me, but I'm six five. So I'm not physically intimidated by a lot of people. Nick Haig is a big dude. He's a huge. Even dude. next to me, I felt small next to that dude. And I played hockey. I played defenseman, but he, he's going to, be an intimidating guy out on the ice. Yeah, and he's. I think he's. You know, he's still kind of skinny. He's filling out. I think he's going to fill out as he. Yeah, goes. he he's needs only, to hit the weight room like a lot of these 19. guys do. Right. He's only nineteen, so he'll get there. Uh, but his, he has that size and that presence that's that's really impressive. But he's also a really really skilled player. He scored four goals already. Add an assist the other night, uh, and we saw him get into a fight uh, in game two where he just dominated the guy. He took a he took a punch. And then dropped the gloves and landed like seven straight uppercuts. Really impressive. And it this it might sound stupid, but I put this in my story. I'll, I'll point it out. I asked him kind of half jokingly because I know that some guys do this. But I said, "Are you going to go back and watch film 
to see what you did right and wrong in that fight and kind of improve? And he said, absolutely. I do. He said, it's part of the game. Why wouldn't I? Everything that you do on the ice, you need to learn how to improve and you need to work to improve it. Why wouldn't I do that? And that's I was like, awesome. wow, that's, that's a really honest answer and really impressive that he is, you know, not, oh, this guy is a, you know, this guy's a, a brute. He's just going to go out and, you know, crush people on the ice. Like, no, it's more like, hey, it's, it's part of the game. So if, if it's part of the game, I need to improve it and I need to work on it. I thought that was really impressive mindset uh, to show in a rookie, in a, you know, especially for a guy that's 19 at rookie camp. But uh, I thought that was cool. Yeah, we've talked about it when it comes to the impact that Ryan Reeves have had on the Golden Knights, but it's a part of the game having a physical guy who can, you know, put a fear factor into people and also let people know if you're going to hit one of our guys, I'm going to hit you right back hard. And so that is a skill that is necessary in the NHL still. And they've got another guy like that uh, on the way, Keegan Colasar. I don't know how many people, uh, you know, he kind of gets lost in the mix of all the, you know, the top prospects. He's another young guy who uh, I asked uh, Rocky Thompson who to compare him to at the NHL level. In, a, in, in my mind, I already had a name, and he said the exact same name, and it was Tom Wilson, who a guy who, and I know that's you know fearful for a lot of Golden Knights fans. They don't like the guy. They don't like. We don't want that guy. That's a guy that you like to have out there. He is, he's a really, really physical presence at wing, but also a skilled guy. So you can play him up on that first line like Tom Wilson does. Tom Wilson plays with two of the most skilled players in the world. He is a security blanket for them, but he also is good enough as, as a skill player to play with them. And that's what they have in Colasar. We saw him just absolutely destroy a kid from San Jose who was kind of showboating out there a little bit and uh, really pestering the Knights. And we were discussing, wow, this kid's really getting a little uh, a little full of himself. And all of a sudden, Colasar just comes out of nowhere and just levels him. He got ejected, which I thought was, was harsh. I didn't think that was the appropriate call, but uh, we saw him do that. And that actually led to the Hague fight. Uh, when Colasar took that guy out. But, you know, Keegan Colasar is another guy to watch that really, really is something that you need. When You you know, he was playing alongside Glass and Suzuki. It could have been a line uh, that would play together for a long time, but uh, Suzuki gone, obviously. Uh, but, yeah, he's that, he's that guy that can fill that role, that Tom Wilson-type role that um, the Golden Knights really could use. He's another Ryan Reese-type, but, but a very, very skilled player. Yeah, to your point, I think it's very telling that they put him with Suzuki and Glass when they were both still here as the kind of, you know, you got two young skill guys and then kind of the physical presence that kind of helps them out. Yeah. And uh, that's something, you know, our other beat writer, Dave Shane, and I were talking about at rookie camp when it opened is that I think Kolasar knows that could be a meal ticket for him to the NHL level is if he protects a guy like Cody Glass and develops alongside him and complements him very well. And so I was it was interesting to see that play out in rookie camp and how they – threw their lines out, and how that actually came to fruition in the games. Very smart of uh, Kolasar to have gotten very close with Cody Glass. They're, they're like best buddies out there. Uh, and I think it's more like, hey, I got your back, and uh, we're going to play together for a long time, right? You're going to put in a good word for me and bring me along with you? Uh, but I think that's a, a really good uh, pairing, guys that are, could play together for a long time and be very effective, and their games really complement each other. So that, that's kind of stood out for me at rookie camp. Well, there you go. We're going to go from rookie camp right into training camp this week. Uh, it never ends. Yeah. Well, there's there's one day between rookie camp and training camp opening, and that's the day that uh, Max Pacioretty gets introduced here in Vegas. So uh, we are going. We'll go right into it. There's you know always something you can check out at the Review Journal and uh, with our coverage and read about what is going on with all these all these different camps, and we are right into it because it's almost game time. You know. Tr- yep. uh, a preseason game starting within a week. They're just jumping right into camp and then going into, into the game. So 
they'll be out there again. I hope you enjoyed your summer because it's coming to an end pretty soon here, Golden Knights fans. You're going to see it for sure. So uh, check out the ReviewJournal.com, all of our coverage up there. Uh, myself, Adam Hill, Ben Goats, along with Dave Shane, Ed Graney, all the video crew, everybody up there that is uh, uh, bringing you the stories of the Golden Knights. Check that out up at ReviewJournal.com and make sure you tune in to us each and every week here on the Golden Edge Podcast. For Ben Goats, I'm Adam Hill. We'll talk to you guys again real soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.